Well, Happy New Year, everybody. This is Tony Wolf here at Tony Wolf Unhinged. I want to welcome you to the first episode of 2022. Yeehaw. Um, this week's episode is going to be a little different. This is going to be more of storytelling. So I hope you all enjoy. Um, it'll be how I got into pro wrestling. Some of the stories of my training. Some of the stories of the road. And uh, you never know what else I may talk about with regards to the wrestling that I saw when I got started. But, like I always say, if you want to send me a message, you want to send me comments or questions, send them to the Wolf Den Blog at yahoo.com. That's the Wolf Den Blog at yahoo.com. Any questions that come in, any suggestions, you may make this next show. Just giving y'all a heads up. Hope everyone had a great January 1st. And um, we'll be right back after these messages with the life and story of Tony Wolf. Oh, God, no. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Tony Wolf, and this is Tony Wolf Unhinged Podcast. Well, this week, I'm going to go a little bit into my refereeing career and a little bit into my history with pro wrestling. 1975, I started watching pro wrestling just as a fluke. I was had gotten a TV in my bedroom when I was a kid. They had, My parents had hooked up an antenna, and one night, I was just surfing across the channels and found old Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. So I sat it and watched, started watching it, and I was like, okay, these the characters are cool. You get I'm seeing why you can get involved in something like this. Later on I was up late one night and I couldn't sleep. As a kid, you know how that goes. So I started flipping across the channels and found world class championship wrestling on another channel and I don't even know how I got it. And between Watching pro wrestling back in the 70s, you only had maybe four, five, six channels at that time. I know WTBS was just starting to come out in the, early, the late 70s, early 80s on cable. So things were starting to change. So the more I watched pro wrestling, the more I got hooked. And despite trying to do other things I always made sure I was in there at 605 watching championship wrestling every wrestling show I could find on TV I was watching and I started to fall in love with these guys I mean I thought this is cool and I'm watching the refs and I'm watching what they're doing and I'm thinking this would be an interesting profession to get into but I'm six six years old, I think it was. I didn't know what I wanted to do for my life. But it was cool to watch these guys and suspend belief that it was real. At that time, as a kid, you think stuff like that's real. You think Kevin Sullivan stabbing somebody in the chest with an iron spike is real. You think that these guys getting busted open... And bleeding like stuck pigs is real. 
and you never know what's going on until you see it live. And I don't remember what year it was, but my I saw that Championship Wrestling was coming to Charleston, West Virginia. Begged Mom to take me to the show, and the Iron Sheik was on it. Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, I think Tommy Rich, and I don't remember who else was there. But the first time I saw the Iron Sheik come out with those curly-toed boots on, I laughed my head off. I'm like, look at this fool. Mom says, I'm going to the concession stand, and I didn't see her for five or ten minutes. But the main event was... was um. Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer and Tommy Rich, and they bled like stuck pigs. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't believe these guys are bleeding so bad. And I didn't know what to think. But it, what, or it hadn't, if it hadn't hooked me already, those kind of things is what really got me a fan. So I followed pro wrestling while I was in living in West Virginia. When I moved to Florida, I found pro wrestling down there in the mid-80s and came across Florida Championship Wrestling and started seeing guys like Blackjack Mulligan, Dusty Rhodes, Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, Barry Windham, a very young Dustin Rhodes, um, Bob Roop, uh, superstar Billy Graham, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, and Gordon Soley, the Dean of Pro Wrestling for announcers. And I was just hooked. I mean, I can't say it more clearly. I was hooked. I loved watching this stuff. And it was so funny to watch some of these guys get the living snot beat out of them. And when I was in middle school, I guess, maybe starting into high school, I told myself, I want to get into pro wrestling. Didn't care if it was a referee. Didn't care if it was working backstage. Didn't care if it was a wrestler. Sometime in my future, I was going to get into pro wrestling. And in 1993, I returned to Ohio because my relatives had a grandma that was dying of cancer. And she had passed away. So we decided to move back up this way. Mom got a job offer, and I guess it was 97, the fair shows were starting to hit, and somebody was putting on a pro wrestling show in Belpre, Ohio, down along the river, and um, Chief Wahoo McDaniels was going to be there. And I'm thinking, okay, I know Wahoo McDaniels from Mid-Atlantic and WCW and places like that. So I'll go down there and watch the show while mom and dad go do their thing at the the fair. So I sat there and I watched it. And I'm, think, and I'm sitting there watching not only the wrestling side, but I'm watching the wrestlers and the announcers and the referees going in and out of their trailer and I'm seeing a different side of pro wrestling. I'm now seeing a little bit of the backstage stuff. And I thought, this is cool. So, a year or so later, I ended up 
seen a free show at Parkersburg, West Virginia Homecoming. And I'm thinking, okay, these guys are not the big time. And I thought, okay, this is not the same level that I'm used to on TV, but they're okay. And I talked to the promoter. And I'm going to leave the promoter's name out of this at this time because he was a decent guy, but I could tell he was not quite up to par as I thought. But he told me, he said, I told him I wanted to get into pro wrestling. He said, be 3500 bucks." I said, okay. And he handed me his business card. I put it in my wallet and went on. I thought, well, there ain't no way I'm going to do that. And then maybe six months later or so, saw that uh, somebody was doing a free show over at a Chuck E. Cheese pizza in their parking lot. And I'm thinking, okay, must be these same guys. Well, it wasn't. I pulled in and they were just starting to set the ring up and I was talking to one of the guys help or doing the ring. He said, yeah, if you want to help, go ahead. And so I helped him set the ring up. Had no idea what I was doing, but I was willing to get my hands dirty. So I sat there and I helped him set the ring up. I got done. I watched the show. Oh God, it was so bad. Some of the matches were decent, but some of these guys were just god-awful. And it went on. Maybe a year later, I was at a movie theater and ran across the promoter for the promotion that had run Chuck E. Cheese. And so we started talking. He said, well, I've got a show next weekend back over at Chuck E. Cheese. I'm like, okay. So I went back over there and went in and talked to him, didn't realize at the time that he was working at Chuck E. Cheese and they were using their parking lot for free advertisement for his promotion. And uh, so I talked to him. He said, yeah, he goes, just go out and help set up and tear down and if we need anything, we'll holler. Okay. So that was where, that was my debut as a ring guy for a pro wrestling company so i helped out storm blew in so we had to run stuff all the electronics back into the to chuck e cheese to keep it from getting messed up so i was running like a chicken with my head cut off didn't know what i was doing really but i was helpful and hung out there and the guy said listen we've got a show here in about two months up at a hotel here in town. If you want to come in and help and set up, we'll start show, We'll work with you and we'll talk to you. Okay. Well, I did. Ended up being the lighting guy that time, but I also helped set the ring up and I helped tear it down. <clears throat> and uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm getting. Uh, I'm working my way up. I'm learning other parts of the business. I'm starting to learn. And I'm watching these guys train before the show, and I'm watching these guys prep for their matches and all this stuff and running the lighting board that they had. And it was cool. It got me in the wrestling business. And this promoter and I started talking a little bit more and a little bit more. And 
I was unemployed at the time, so he called me and said, uh, listen, I, I've got a ring rental in Glenville, West Virginia for a boxing show. He goes, would you be interested in taking the ring up there and um, setting it up, tearing it down, and bringing it back? I said, yeah. He goes, I'll have some help with you. And then when you get to the school, we'll, we'll go from there. You'll have help from the football team. Okay. Well, showed up to where the where they had it stored. The person never showed up. So I ended up going by myself. Ended up, we carried an all steel or a wooden ring with steel ring posts up three flights of stairs. So if anybody that's listening to this has ever been to Glenville State College Auditorium, you know where I'm talking about. Sets on a friggin' hill, and it's a pain in the butt to get in and out of. And yeah, it was a nightmare. But I went in, done the job, done exactly what I was told. Never had to call him, never had to say anything to him until I walked back into his door to turn over the keys back to him. And he's like, did you have any problems? I said, I worked them out. He goes, did your help show up? Nope. He goes, wait a minute, you set the ring up by yourself? I said, well, other than the football players that were there, they helped me set it up and tear it down and bring it up and down, but I'd done everything else on my own, making sure everything was running right. Oh, he was tickled to death. He's like, somebody who can think? So he started training. At that point, we started talking about training. And... They ended up running their first show in Marietta, and that was the show that I refereed my first match in, I think it was March of 97. The funny thing was with that show, he had to go pick up, him and his partner at the time, had to go pick up a wrestler from Cleveland, or not Cleveland, Columbus. And he said, keys will be in the van, Go pick up the van and meet such and such at the Marietta Fairgrounds. I'm like, okay. So I did, and I pulled the ring in. I'm sitting there. Nobody shows up. Nobody's around. I'm thinking, okay. I looked at my watch and saw what time it was. I'm like, well, this thing's got to be start put together. So I ended up putting the ring together piece by piece by myself 30 some year old guy had only done it half a dozen times at that point and and he pull in comes the promoter and his partner and dan severin they look at me and they're like you're telling me you done all this by yourself i'm like yeah the other guy never showed up well, he was impressed enough to where he offered me an opportunity to referee. No training, no nothing. So, one of the wrestlers that was there, David Powers, ended up working with me a little bit before the show, showed me how to take a body slam, how to deliver a body slam, because I needed to know how to bump in case anything happened during the matches. And I ended up refereeing, I think, 
three or four matches that night. And I ended up working with Dan Severin. Was it, I think it was Dan Severin was on that show. It was one of the shows. <laughs> it comes to a point in the wrestler's career where everything kind of runs together, especially in the early years. But I had uh, King Kong Bundy, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Tarantula, and I believe Dan Severn may have been on that show. I don't remember. But I earned a lot of people's respect because I was the one who was willing to put the ring together, tear it down, plus referee and run the ring truck. And I'm like, finally, I'm into business. So I started training at that point. Wasn't a lot of training. I spent a lot of time doing odd jobs for the promoter so that I was working off my training fees. And he found out real quick that the pros of having me work for him were that I'm a hard worker, I'm a, a thinker, I can look at something if there's a problem and figure it out and work through it. And the cons were, I had a big mouth. I told my, when I felt something, I told them. Somebody asked me a question, they may or may not like the answer to it. But I started training with them and doing, being kind of the ring, ring monster, running the truck and doing whatever. And we traveled West Virginia, Ohio, Eastern Kentucky, Western Pennsylvania, I mean, we were we would get ring rentals, and we would take the truck and take off and go to a show. And I was spending anywhere from three to four nights a week or four days a week on the road. And I was learning the wrestling business. I was learning how to do the bumps, how to run the ropes, how to move as a referee. Now. The guys that were training me as a ref, David was about the only one that actually knew refereeing skills. The rest of them just knew how to interact with referees. So I gave him a lot of mad props. In, I think it was 1999, we I was part of the NWA at that point, and we got an opportunity to go to Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was an NWA convention show. And some of the stuff, I mean, I w it was just a crazy, crazy three or four days on the road. Only refereed two matches that night, but I made some career um, opportunities for myself. Got there a couple days early, like we always did, and met the senior referee, Fred Richards, Fred Rubenstein, for the NWA at the time. And we talked, and they were him and the promoter that I was dealing with, and 
couple other people were like, yeah, this guy knows how to ref. And they were willing to give me an opportunity. Well, I went to the business meetings where it was semi-open to the promoters and their assistants. And I was learning the business side of it. And during that trip, I guess it was the night before we went for the show. And we had been out doing the local promoter owned a bunch of uh, gentlemen's clubs and clubs and stuff. And so several of the boys had gotten messed up, but it was me and the promote, my promoter sharing a hotel room. And then we let a couple other guys crash there. Well, one of the guys had gotten really drunk and he was crashing in our room and since me and the promoter were paying majority of the bills, he was, I had one bed and the other, the promoter had the other bed. Well, this particular wrestler decided to jump in the shower at three o'clock in the morning after we got back from the bars before we went to bed. Well, he comes out of the shower and has a towel wrapped around him and decides to jump in bed with me. And start snuggling up to me. And I said, and I told him to back off. And he just started getting stupid. So I'm laying on my side. And if anybody knows the Charlotte, North Carolina phone book. That was laying on the underneath side of the, the desk where I was laying. I grabbed that thing. And I come around. And I smacked this guy as hard as I could in the balls. With a phone book. He jumped up out of the bed, screaming and hollering about his balls, his balls. And I told him, I said, I told you to leave me alone. I'm trying to sleep. Well, the promoter looked at him and said, if you're going to act like that, get dressed and get your shit out of my room and you can stay somewhere else. Well, he, he got dressed and left. I talked to someone many many years later and apparently this said wrestler has told this story to others when he made his rounds of ROH, CZW, WWE and other promotions around the world so this story has a mind of its own so I can just about imagine the where the story went from his side of it. But uh, that was funny road story. That's what it ended up becoming. It was a funny road story. Guy got drunk, tried to be smart ass and jump in bed with me. He got hit with a phone book right in the nuts. So that tells you what not to do. But there's a lot of funny road stories that I can go through. We were in a hotel and it had been snowing. One of the guys had gotten in the shower. We went out with the bucket of or bucket for ice and shoveled up a bunch of snow, slipped into the bathroom and dumped it over the top on him. So, and all oh, he threw a fit, but he was still in the shower. Well, he thought it'd be funny to get even and 
when I got in the shower, he ended up getting a cold bucket of ice water. And op when I opened the door after getting out of the shower and getting fully dressed, he drowns me. And I'm like, dude, you were still in the shower when I got you. This just took it to another level. And we didn't get along very well because of that. But there's always road stories. We were at a show up in northern Ohio, and they had booked it at a high school. One of the wrestlers comes walking in and goes, Where's the rats? Where's the rats? And if anybody knows the wrestling business, a ring rat is basically some chick that comes to the show or some guy that comes to the show, and all they want to do is party with the wrestlers and get laid. That's what this guy was looking for. And we were like, no rats in this locker room. Then later on, he walks up to one of the other wrestlers and says, I'm going out to smoke a doobie. You want some? And King Kong Bundy was sitting in the locker room. He stood up, did not take one step. He looked at that guy and said, if you're going to do that shit, take it outside. I don't want it in my locker room. So you knew who to play with and who not to play with. And Chris King Kong Bundy was one you did not mess with because he was one that would would really rip you a new one if you done something stupid. But I can I have road stories from trips to Virginia to trips to Tennessee all over Ohio, West Virginia, like I said, Kentucky, of things that happened. And there's the good stuff, which was the camaraderie between the wrestlers and the referees and the promoters and all of that. The bad was going to shows and not knowing if you were going to get paid or you were, if you go to a show, you work a full show and... Promoter says, oh, I didn't make enough, but you can have all the pop and hot dogs you want. When you go over to the concession stand, there's nothing left but uh, nachos and a bottle of water. And that's what you got for your payday. I actually had one wrestler tell me a story that he went to a show in nowhere, Ohio. I don't even remember where it was. The promoter drew six people. And when the wrestlers come up to him and said, we want our pay, he looked at him and said, I don't have any money. Will you take food stamps? Now, this is back when food stamps were actually still a thing, not the food stamp cards. So that tells you that's the bad of it. The ugly is when you get somebody who's working a match and... They get hurt because the other guy's an idiot. And I can tell a, a story of that, that um, we were at a show. guy from Cleveland named JT Lightning was wrestling a tag team match. And it was against two black gentlemen. I don't even remember their names. And one of them decided to put what they call a gig, a razor blade, in his armband but instead of doing it the way you're supposed to, he put it as a whole one, untaped, 
unsecured. So when they locked up, the blade went through the guy's elbow pad and sliced JT's arm. And we had to rush him to the back, get him calmed down while they got the ambulance there. And he had a gash probably, eh, I'm going to say it was close to six, eight inches long, close to three quarters of an inch wide. And... So we got everything cleaned up, and then the show went on. That's the ugly. Mother ugly is working a NWA convention show in Parkersburg, having a four-way ladder match, and guy sets up the ladder to do a dive to the outside, and I'm trying to brace the ladder because the way he's got it set up and when he dove, he was supposed to go up, out, over, and around and land on these guys. He goes out, down, and lands on his head. And the guys catch his feet right as his head smacks off the floor. The, the ER doctor basically told him that if it wasn't for the muscles in his neck that he had, that he would have never survived. He would have been permanently paralyzed. But he was professional football or a semi-pro football player college and had been doing pro wrestling and had gotten into bodybuilding so he had built up his neck muscles and shoulder muscles and back to a point where he was jacked may have been short but he was jacked so that was an ugly watched one of my closer friends went to do a spot where he ran into, um, he was supposed to run into a guy in the corner, the guy moved, and he ends up hitting his shoulder off the pole and ends up dislocating his shoulder, comes back six weeks later, eight weeks later, and does it again, same shoulder. So, I mean, accidents happen in the wrestling business, but sometimes people just do stupid shit that, get them hurt but road stories are part of the wrestling business but over my career I absolutely loved doing it I mean there was times when I would drive three or four hours away and get no pay thank god I had money with me from my day job but then there would be times that I would do decent not great and I've had injuries, and as my career started winding down, after 10 years in the NWA, 16 years in the ring, um, and then almost 25 years in the business altogether, I'm to a point in my career that I like talk or tra teaching people, training people. <clears throat> a lot of people say, well, you were just a ref. You can't train people. What you don't understand is a good ref does multiple things. A good ref can be understand the setup and teardown of a ring or of a set or whatever. A good ref has mouth closed, ears open, listens and watches 
when the wrestlers are doing stuff because you never know when you're going to have to do a wrestling move as a referee. And you study. You study other refs that are on TV. You study videos on YouTube now. Or back in the day, it used to be tape trading where you would trade tapes from different parts of the world to see how referees or wrestlers or managers were doing stuff in other areas and see what you could pick up to make yourself a better worker. And there's always going to be the politics of wrestling. You're going to have times when, as a referee or as a wrestler, that you're looking at yourself and nobody else. Even when you're a tag team, you're looking at your team, but you're also looking about yourself. And you get some of these guys where, oh, I don't need to train. I've already been trained. I've been doing this for 20 years, and I don't need to learn anything else. That's when you need to get the hell out of the wrestling business. There's a lot of shit that these young guys are doing that are hurting their careers and they don't even realize it. There's one thing that they can't teach you in wrestling school that you can go to some of these seminars that they have and you can go to certain wrestlers that can help you by mentoring you and giving you advice and things that they've done wrong to make you a better in-ring performer. And that's why I got into doing mentoring. I would review people's matches, and when I would watch the matches, I would make mental notes, and then I would text them or email them and say, hey, it's me, just got done watching said match at from said date. You did this, this, this great. This, this, this could be changed a little bit here or there. And you need to emphasize certain things. And being a good mentor in the wrestling business, that's the kind of things you want to do. Myself, I've sat here online, even after I got out of the ring, watched seminars from Chris Daniels, from Billy Gunn, from Al Snow, from... Um, different people. I can't, uh, Matt Stryker. I mean, there's a lot of really good seminars that these guys have done and bits and pieces have been posted online to where you can learn stuff. Um, Jimmy Corderas does a really good, did a really good seminar up with Cleveland All Pro, I think it was where he was talking about refereeing. There's DVDs out there by Tommy Young and different referees, Earl Hebner. God, Earl Hebner has been doing it a hell of a lot longer than I have, and so would Tommy Young, and they've made it a lot farther than I ever did. But you got to have confidence in yourself there's a lot of guys in the business that have, and ladies too, that have depression, anxiety, and they deal with it with drugs and alcohol. 
or sex or whatever. Whatever. Myself, I got in, after I found out that I had problems, I started going to a doctor and got the issue straightened out. And it's made me a better person because of it. I wish that I was 10 years younger and 75 pounds lighter because I would love to still be refereeing. I would still, I would love to still be going to shows every weekend and doing the stuff with the way the wrestling business is right now. Ain't no doubt. Even as at my age, I would still out referee most of these guys and gals that are currently on TV. But when you're six foot four and you're as big as some of the wrestlers, that's where you have a problem. That's the reason those people who know me know I got doing the comedy thing and I, I could be a heel or I could be a face or I could be a tweener. I could do just about anything in the wrestling business. And 925 matches as a referee, probably a dozen as a wrestler and a dozen as a manager, plus trained probably two or three dozen people over my career. And the advice that I got from Fred, the advice I got from David Powers, the advice I got from other wrestlers that it made me learn the psychology behind doing a lot of this stuff. And that's something that people can't teach. You have to be willing to learn it from failure or from doing stuff wrong. I'm going to give you another story. In my early days, we were doing a show in Parkersburg, West Virginia at the South High School. And I was working a match with Demolition Axe, and I don't remember who he was working. I was still green to the business. I had no idea what what a good referee was at that point. And I see Axe jump out of the ring and grab a chair, and I tried to rip it out of his hands. I'm like, you can't. And I started to scold him. He about hit me with the chair. Well, I learned from my mistakes. When I got to the back, the promoter's like, don't ever take a chair away from a wrestler if unless they tell you to do otherwise because you will get hurt if it's some of the certain wrestlers. He knew that you were a green ref and that you were just doing what you thought was right. So that's always... I learned from my mistakes and... I trained people to learn from their mistakes. Being a mentor to young wrestlers is a great thing because I can do that. I learned the in-ring stuff. I learned to be a, I call it a producer or a backstage hand for independent promotions. I helped write scripts. I helped book shows. I helped uh, write matches. 
So it, we had a booking t team on one show where there was like four of us sitting there with a list of wrestlers. And I had a list of what matches had happened the last couple of months. So we were able to set up store or go back and do storylines because we were trying to run once a month at this point. And it taught me multiple sides of the wrestling business. And that's always a good thing. I will give some rough advice. If you get, want to get into the wrestling business and you think that it's all sunshine and roses, a good wrestler, referee, manager, whatever. Advice from a 24, almost 25-year veteran. One, build up your cardio. Two, make sure you're flexible. You do not want to pull the muscle or run out of gas during a match. Those two things are two primary things that I tell everybody. You got to have cardio and you got to stretch before every show. Because if you don't, <laughs> you will hurt bad by the time the show is over. Three, make sure you know if. When the matches are read off and you know that you're pulling an Ironman match, don't worry about every match for the whole card unless there's no breaks. Take the first three matches, go to the wrestlers and say, okay, I'm your ref. You're over. How are you going over? And is there any ref spots? That's it. That's all you have to know. And then tell them, we'll walk and talk the rest of it in the ring. And if you can do that where you can remember three matches, normally it's three matches and we go to an intermission, or four matches and we go to an intermission. So if you're on a show and something's going on in the back, either have the ring announcer pass a note to you in between matches, or... When the wrestler comes in and you go to check their boots and waist, when you reach in, ask them any changes. And there'll be times when you'll be in a match where I worked with Petey Williams and Chris Saban. They didn't know who was going over. The promoter told them, you decide. We were halfway through the match. They gave me the go home. I said, they just gave me the go home, who's over, and they made a decision right then and there, and I knew that they were using their normal finish, because I said, you're over with this, if you go over, you're with this, and they were like, yeah, I'm like, okay, that was all I had to know, but it made it so much easier to learn to walk and talk in the ring but make it to where the fans could not hear you. But you could hear the wrestlers. You could hear information being passed to you from outside sources, but the fans didn't pick up on it. That's a good referee. That's somebody who understands the wrestling business. There's a lot more intricacies to it. 
for referees, for wrestlers, etc. But if I went into all the intricacies, we'd be here for three hours. But if you want to get into wrestling business, don't get into it for the money. Get in for it for your passion of wrestling. If you're going to be a wrestler or a referee, learn the basics. Learn how to do your basics. Learn how to throw a punch, how to take a punch, how to take a body slam. Don't worry about all these corkscrew, triple lindy, moonsault, flippy, whatever code breakers that they are doing on TV. Learn your basics. Know how to get up and down, stay out of their way. A good referee will never be in or will always be out of the way and be there when they need to be, but they can also show strength by they're wearing the stripes, so it makes the ref wrestlers go, Oh, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. That's a good ref. And if you're doing a comedy match, you have to be willing to sell just as much as the wrestlers do. And as you learn them, the, me doing the clown matches, me doing Zoltan matches, I learned the comedy routines real quick. So this is going to be a wrap for my history of me in pro wrestling my advice to young up-and-coming talent, and uh, my true hope that if any of my words sink in, then I've done my job. And we'll be right back with the wrap-up after these messages. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you all enjoyed the stories, the advice, the knowledge that I put into this podcast. Um, if you have any questions, if you want to leave a comment, you can leave it in the comments below. Um, I'll be posting my email like normal. So if you need to send me an email, it's thewolf, W-O-L-F-E, den, blog, at yahoo.com. And please, I check that account on a semi-regular basis. If I see an email there, put in the topic question or question for the podcast or something to that effect, and I'll get back to you as quick as I can. And you never know, I may copy and paste it and put it in my show notes for another uh, podcast somewhere down the road. And if you ask questions, I'll find the answers. You know I'm unhinged, but I'm also, also straightforward. You ask me a question, I'm going to give you a straight answer. So, hope you all enjoyed the show. Happy New Year again. And until next week, I'm your host, Tony Wolf, And that's right, I am unhinged. So you never know what I'm going to talk about on the Tony Wolf Unhinged podcast. So until next time, see you later.